and PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision. Davis Vision's New Year's special continues through February. Save $1,000 off normal pricing now through the end of the month. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com. Tim Lacombe joins us right now. Tim, good morning. Good morning, my good dear friends. You're a music guy. Winter oh, some Wonderland. Would say, some would say. You're right. Winter Wonderland. Winter song or Christmas song? Played during a blizzard in February, is that acceptable, yay or nay? Yes, Christmas yes, song, yes, yes, no. Yes, 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 yes. Not yes, acceptable. Yes, yes. It's and miscast as a Christmas tune. I pray that I'm on your side, DJ. Yep. Well, you need to pray harder, buddy. <laughs> I was fine oh. with Yach. I was fine with Yach playing it since I, since I'd driven through a foot of snow to get to the station. It was a winter wonderland, and it does not what have to be. Say? That's a Christmas song. It no, does not have to be Christmas. It is not limited. It's cast as a Christmas tune. It is not limited to Christmas in my book. It is a snow song. Are you listening? Right. Or yeah, you're right. exactly, or you it's can just a winter wonderland, but yeah. it is associated. There's an association with Christmas that right. probably shorted the uh, the guy that wrote it out of a lot of quid. <laughs> Way to reduce it to it money. Stereotyped him, man. Right? Very limiting. Two weeks before Christmas, very limiting. So, as a former college coach who has been to I don't know how many high school and AAU games and watched guys who had one skill that was decent, but too many other things they couldn't do and wouldn't do, even though their high school or AAU coach told them, How about you add this? How about you do this? And as a guy who probably talked to a guy who was 11th man on the team who wanted to be a starter but didn't alter his game. I'm wondering if you are as impressed uh, slash amazed by Jordan Clarkson as I am. Because when I see a player who takes guys off the dribble the way Jordan does, I'm assuming he played a lot of one-on-one and a lot of two-on-two at the age, not just of 17, but probably 13 and maybe 9, and has so much confidence in that that if a coach in the NBA goes to him and says, that's great, I don't want you to totally lose it, but three is more than two, and we also think you're a pretty good catch-and-shoot guy. And when I look at his numbers go from taking a couple threes a game to where he's taking five or six a game, I think that's a pretty significant transformation, and you have to give that player credit for being coachable and having a high basketball IQ and realizing what he's being told and why he needs to adjust. Can you address how rare it is and how many times you banged your head against the wall trying to say something like that to a guy who didn't hear, and Jordan deserves credit for being the outlier who did hear and did adapt? Yeah, so I think that the, the, the biggest thing in this to me is, you know, kind of the, the way, you know, the, the way that it's talked about is that there was discussion about his shot chart. And, you know, one of the things the Jazz really do well, if you say, what do they do defensively? Obviously, they have Rudy Gobert that affects everything, but they really do, as opposed to getting out in passing lanes, um, you know, they really kind of pack it around him, do a really good job soundly on ball screens uh, to limit penetration, and then they really try to tweak the other team's shot chart and, um, you know, to the to the negative. You know, they want them taking a whole lot of, of pull-up twos, you know, um, and really what they did is they just used that shot chart and said, you know, Jordan, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of twos in here. We need to cut out of your game. And, um, you know, he, he's almost the perfect experiment of what analytics truly looks like in, in a human form. Because, uh, you know, I think the book on Jordan is like what you said. He's a guy who's getting a bucket no matter what. Um, but a lot of dribble and a lot of isolation and a lot of one-on-one stuff. And wherever the shot came from, great. Um, but the way he's tweaked it, and you can see it in games, you know, he, he, he really fights the urge to always put it on the floor. He, he still moves the ball when he still, he still moves the ball when needed, but at the same time, he just does a great job of, uh, you know, when it's his turn rising up and shooting it or driving it all the way to the restricted area and coming up with a way to score. And so, yeah, I, I think, I think it, a lot of credit goes to Jordan and a ton of credit goes to the staff. So where the Jazz are playing right now reminds me when you guys had Jimmer his senior year. With that in mind, how fun is it to go to work when you're in this situation? Oh, it's so great. Um, I remember, so we had kind of a tradition back then with that staff. We'd go eat Sizzler every Monday. It was just our one day out of the office. We'd go sit around the table at Sizzler um, and the table we were at, they'd always show the rankings, the rankings that come out on Mondays. And, you know, all of a sudden you'd see your name pop up and you'd be a little higher. And uh, then as we were there, you know, ESPN was starting to run stories on us, do stuff on Jimmer. And, um, and everywhere you went, you know, there was a, a buzz. And, and what's funny is I saw that the other night um, in the game against Philly. I mean, Philly was really motivated to play that game, uh, I guess, minus Embiid. But um, they were really motivated to play the, that game because they're playing the best team in the league. And that's part of it. That's what these guys are going to start seeing. I mean, this this deal down in L.A., depending on who they have healthy and who's, you know. But these guys have always, because they're the Jazz, they've always, uh, they've always been respected. But, I mean, it's going to be a whole new level now. They're going to take everybody, everybody's best shot because right now they're the top dog. Tim Lacombe joining us here. Uh, what are you going to watch for in these, uh, these two Clipper games here, given that Paul George is out and Nicholas Batum concussion, he is out, and Kawhi Leonard is questionable and Mike Conley is questionable. So said all that, now what are you watching for? Well, I think the, the most interesting thing in this series to me is going to be what takes place between game the first game and the second game. Um, you know, I think really – it's set up like a playoff series would be where you play a game in that town and you skip a day and you play again. And so that, that second game is going to say a lot about adjustments and that sort of thing. Uh, what we've learned this year is you really can never count on uh, guys being at full strength. Uh, you know, there's been a ton of injury and then you've got COVID and everything else on top of it this year. So uh, you almost just have to go out and, you know, there's one area I'm knocking on wood. The, the Jazz have, have been relatively healthy. I missed Donovan for a few games, Joe for a few games, Faves, um, and, and now Mike, you know, for a significant stretch here. But the key to it is they've had guys step up. Your guy Joe Ingles has been unbelievable in the stretch. Um, with Mike out, I feel like Joe's just stepped in and managed everything beautifully. Uh, I, I don't think anybody can talk about Joe being, uh, you know, passing up shots anymore. I think his aggressive aggression level has been awesome. But but 
those those games in LA will say a lot. Uh, I don't know that they're going to say a lot, you know, with everybody if everybody doesn't play. You know, if George doesn't play, uh, we sound like he's out and Batum's out. We'll hear about Kawhi. Um, but the bottom line for the Jazz is just find ways to improve uh, or continue to keep it going. Um, they have made a great stride in the last two weeks about they were not getting the free throw line hardly at all. And that's just another facet that's been added. And they've actually had a couple games now where threes weren't going. They got to the line, um, you know, really good. And Donovan's starting to get there, which I've always kind of wondered why he didn't get more. But hopefully that will, as part of being the best team in the league, that'll be part of it. But um, that's what I'm looking for this week. You know, I I think people are asking me, what do you expect out of the six-game stretch? You know, the four tough games at home. And the two with L.A., and I really said, you know, I think if they could figure out a way to win four or six, um, well, they've already hit the four. And um, and I really, I mean, they're the favorites, favorite tonight, two-and-a-half-point favorites. So, um, you know, just more than anything, look at this from a current standpoint and then what it looks like down the road, uh, you know, should they possibly score up in the playoffs somewhere. How do you explain or attribute the said uh, improvement and stellar play from Joe Ingles? Well, I think part of it is the karma that comes from being with you guys weekly. For sure. I don't. I mean, there's honest to God, no doubt about that, because my life's changed. In fact, we should start a (laughs) seminar thing. My life changed the minute I met DJ and PK. (laughs) Okay, nice, Tim. You didn't like me in the beginning. Nobody does, but that's different. It's no, still, I actually, you. yeah, I just thought you were kind of, you know, who was actually, I, I thought was really a curmudgeon was DJ. But that's <laughs> that's the story for another day. He's very professional. He just didn't give us any time. He would give me no time. He wouldn't let me in. But once I was out of coaching, he was like, all right, now you can be my buddy. Um, I accepted you from day one, even though it was not reciprocated. Well, I I did have some brain trauma that I had to work through. You were the uh, enemy. I was raised that you were the enemy. I had to sit through those slideshows in Majerus' hotel room. The propaganda films. What was the What was the question? <laughs> Joe's greatness. Why are oh, we Joe, seeing Joe. this? Yeah, no. So, I mean, my take is, you know, a take that got worn out by me last year, but it was proved to be spot on, which if you hang around me long enough, I'm going to be right at some point. But my my take last year was that Mike Conley was just in a career funk and that it wasn't the end of the road and there weren't rubber off the tires. It was him getting used to being in a new situation. And you guys can attest I said that many times. And I used the term data points. And I talked about data points and how all you got to do is look at this guy's career. The numbers will tell the story. And this is an outlier. This is a an, an adjustment. You know, the one thing that's not constant is the place he's playing and the guys he's playing with. So once he figures that out, it's going to be better. And, you know, in that whole thing, just kind of eliminated the fact that Joe had to make a major change too, you know. Joe went from being a starter in the NBA on a team that he was really, really valuable for as a starter, and he had to go off, you know, and figure out a new role. And I never really gave that much thought until, honestly, I, was, I heard him talk about it on your show. And um, he was really candid about it, and you could tell that it was something he had to deal with. So 
I think more than anything, it's getting a lay of the land, getting his feet underneath him. I think it's being reunited with Faves. I think it's the, I think it's the uh, connection he's got with Rudy. I think it's the new instant offense connection he's got with his boy Jordan Clarkson. Um, but being back in the starting lineup for him is a familiar place, and some guys it would freak him out. But Joe's a pro, and. Um, again, he's one of those guys, if you watch him and you watch him every night, you really appreciate the, the greatness of Joe um, because he's so unassuming and he's, he really does have that attitude where he's so instrumental to the team's success, but he always deflects. And, you know, I think that that's a, a real trait that the, the team's taken on, and I think that it's one that works for everybody. So I agree with a lot of what you said, and you kind of tiptoed into an area that I think gets completely underplayed when we talk about Joe going to the bench. Joe's a pro, but Joe isn't LeBron. He doesn't overwhelm. You know, he doesn't have this uh, this athleticism that it like creates a coaches will say gravity right where it changes everything. Joe's a high IQ basketball player, but he needs guys around him who can play. And I oh, no thought doubt. when he went to the bench, he was usually out there with two or three guys who, quite frankly, weren't good enough. And PK will back me up on this. I told him from the get-go last year, the bench isn't good enough. The bench isn't good enough. The bench is bad. And to Jazz management's credit, yes, they did sign those guys, but they came to the conclusion the bench wasn't good enough pretty quick. And they made well, a bunch they made of, that quick move, right? They made multiple quick moves. Joe was Think about it. Emmanuel Moutier was on the bench. Jeff Green was on the bench. Ed Davis was – those guys were all bench guys. And Tony Bradley. And uh, Bradley – so Bradley took Davis's minutes, and then they brought Faves back to take Bradley's minutes, right? Green got right. let go. Moutier got buried and then got let go. Joe – you look at the quality of player Joe was out there. Joe was out there with more guys who can shoot and more guys who could pass. And those guys I just listed had maybe one of those skill sets at a lower level. Uh, I just think they've upgraded the talent around Joe. And when you upgrade the talent around a good, smart player, then that player becomes way better. Uh, totally point taken. I think that that's, uh, that's something, too, that you know we're seeing the benefits of four guys on the floor that can shoot as opposed to, to two and a half or three. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our boy Majerus used to say it all the time. Spacing is offense. And offense is spacing. And it sounds like a... Uh, palindrome, you know, mm-hmm. but but if there there is real majesty in that phrase, because the only way that true offense works is if you can inherently gain an advantage, and what the Jazz have now is they have prime real estate in the corners and on the wings, and if you're not there to pounce on that prime real estate, it'll sting you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they have so much room to operate. They can quickly gain an advantage, meaning two on the ball, because guys have to respect their ability to drive it in the in the roll screen roll game. So you're right. You're dead on. Um, Joe is playing with better players, but he's also playing with guys who are multiple, you know, threats in, in multiple ways as opposed to just like you say, Moutier and Green and those guys, there just wasn't that level of respect to give the spacing that Joe needed to operate right. effectively. So Conley so comes back. On that you, one. You yeah. just, Conley comes back, you just put him in the starting lineup and move Joe out? Yeah, I do. Because, 
Um, I, I think this team's way past all that. Uh, I, I think it was a deal. It was definitely a deal last year. But I also believe there was way more, you know, inherently Donovan and Rudy were chasing something individually and never gotten. And in, in their case, too, they hadn't really been validated from a, a career payment standpoint. I mean, it's, it's an interesting place to be. Um, you know, you really want to be able to accomplish a bunch of that individual stuff so that it then raises your value. But at the same time, you want to be a good teammate. And it's kind of like the Bible, man. There's times and seasons. And I think the, the time and season for all that stuff's passed. And everybody on this team to a man, and if they're faking it, they're doing a dang good job. <laughs> but they just want to win. And they honestly get a bigger kick out of, like the team collectively gets a bigger kick out of Jordan Clarkson having a game the other night like he did. Um, and then tonight, you know, somebody else is going to have a night and they're going to be genuinely happy for them. And that's when you get to a special place. When you can get all that other crap out of the way. And it is a team game in its essence. And people fight that. And when people fight that, that's when teams struggle. But, man, when they adopt it, that you get what we're seeing basketball in Nirvana right now. You know, have we ever seen it this good? Uh, maybe the late 90s. And that would be I mean, the Jazz had – this is a shorter stretch, 20 games, you know, over five years. The yeah, they Jet, won 30. Yeah, they – but the Jazz had five years where they were basically winning like 73, 74% of their games over five years. And right. we, and we got, we got kind of numbed by that. Now, you can't sustain, you know, 19 out of 20 over five years because nobody's ever done that. Heck, you can't sustain that over a season. Nobody's ever done that. Right. So, but, but you guys know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, it is. I, I get it. There's yeah. different ways to win, but this team is winning like the optimum way. Because it's different every night. They're just sound, and they're elite in a couple places. And that's what makes it, you know, uh, that's what makes it have some teeth to actually be able to do something deeper down the road. Tim, as always, we appreciate it. And I'm going to hold on to spacing is offense, offense is spacing. Yeah, and you got to I'm going like to hold that. on. I'm going to hold on that I was raised to be his enemy, or he was raised to be my enemy. (laughs) He had watched propaganda films. It went like this. They put us, you know, when we first got orientation to the basketball program, they stuck us in a dark room. And they put somebody behind us. We couldn't see who it was, but then it was that creepy music, and it was like, this is the known enemies of the Utah basketball program. <laughs> kind of a voice like that. Mm-hmm. I got it. Yeah. And the very first screen, you pull it off, and it was Roger Reed. <laughs> and the very next screen, you pulled back, and it was Patrick Kinahan, alias PK, known associates, DJ. Uh, <laughs> yeah, something like that. I, I can't remember all days. the words, but you were... I had to fight some of that mental anguish to, to be your pal. You know, you've just made an enemy right now. I think Gordon Monson is mad that he is at best the third slide. Yeah. Monson had his own. We Actually, they had a whole like weekend series on Monson. <laughs> you couldn't just cover him in one slide. Ah, okay, now he feels better. No, I like it when they you call him in, Munson, though. <laughs> Munson. They brought in donuts and juice, too. <laughs> he needed snacks to get through that one. 
And you, the funny thing is there was a bunch of people in the beginning, in the early days, who thought exactly like Tim. And almost a, a man, every single one of them, saw the light. There is, uh, you know, it's kind of like understanding that Darth Vader had a really, he did have a heart at the end of the day. We're just buried under a lot of plastic and capes and stuff like that. <laughs> now I see PK rolling into the Huntsman Center in a cape. <laughs> you go up to, D- to PK, what's going on? Oh, I think my friend. Oh. <laughs> All right, Tim, we will let you go on that note, and we will talk to you again next week. We'll hear you on the uh, Jazz Broadcast Clippers uh, Wednesday, Friday, tonight, and Friday. Take note, boys. It's really fun.